Coming to you direct from the heart of New York City all the way to wherever you are, you're listening to the VIP Jazzwall Report. John Cleese, the famous British actor, once said, Creativity is not a talent, it's a way of operating. And today's show is about arousing the genius within us. Our guest is Michael Gelb. Michael is one of the world's leading authorities on the application of genius thinking to personal and professional development. He's considered a pioneer in the fields of creative thinking, accelerated learning, and innovative leadership with more than 30 years of experience in the field. He's also the author of 14 books on creativity and innovation, including the international bestseller called How to Think Like Leonardo da Vinci, Seven Steps to Genius Every Day. This book has been translated into 25 languages and has appeared on the Washington Post, Amazon.com, and the New York Times bestseller list. This man claims to bring the genius out that sleeps within all of us. And that must mean I'm a genius too because I haven't just woken up to the fact yet and I can't wait to tell my wife that she's married one. Welcome to the show, Michael. (laughs) Thank you so much. Great to be with you. So, sir, you believe there's a genius within all of us? Yes, indeed. Any mother who's held her baby in Mm. her arms, looked that baby in the eye, has seen that spark of genius in that child. And any wife who's held her husband in her arms (laughs) would would contest you. If he's been a good husband. (laughs) (laughs) And you have to be a genius to be a good husband. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the pure geniuses never got married. Um, But anyway, this show's going to be good. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you. Let me start off by saying, um, what would you define as genius in today's world? I think genius, you know, the word genius comes from the root, the same root as genesis, to generate, to give birth to. Effectively, it's applied creativity. Mm. Anybody can get a creative idea, but can you apply it? to make a positive difference, whether you're making a difference to the whole world, like great geniuses I've written about, Leonardo, Thomas Edison, or just to be a genius in your life every day so that you make the world better for yourself and the people around you. You know, I always thought genius was what you said about making a difference or changing a habit. Uh, that and, and you've got to have the idea and the acceptability. So the idea is one. The acceptability is what I think, in my mind, makes it genius. Um, let me give you an example. Um, you know, in the olden days when we were young, we had the Walkman? Sure. Yeah. Uh, along comes Steve Jobs and creates the iPod. And, and, and basically what he's done is it's a digital Walkman. Basically, it's a spreadsheet with all your songs, and you can change the order and and things like that like you can on a spreadsheet. What do you think? I think you're exactly right. I think that the real genius of what Jobs did Mm. is he figured out a way to make a lot of people happy. Right. (laughs) And if you can figure out a way to make a lot of people happy, you can make billions of dollars. Uh, One of my favorite examples of exactly what you're talking about is Enterprise Rent-A-Car. You know, the cars aren't any different, Mm -hmm. but they made 
billions of dollars by coming up with a really simple idea. We will pick you up. And if you think about it, it's almost like a Seinfeld routine because Seinfeld might say, hey, you know, somebody might have thought of this before that if you have to rent a car, you don't have any way of getting there. So you need somebody to pick you up. So it is sometimes seeing things that are kind of obvious, but repurposing them or repackaging them or finding a different way to communicate about them so that you can make more people happy. So it's not just necessarily a revolutionary idea. It can also be an evolutionary idea. Very much so. Very much so. I mean, you're the, the, the big world-changing ideas are obviously get our attention. You know, and Einstein gets a lot of attention. Mm. But we're not, most of us are not going to come up with uh, massive uh, changes in the way we think about physics. And that's, that's not important to us on a daily basis. What is important is to figure out How can I make my job meaningful? How can I learn and grow and change so that I can learn and grow and change with the changing demands of the job market, for example? How can I keep my relationship fresh, alive, fun, happy? Uh, That takes some practical, everyday genius. And how can I be happy and fulfilled myself in this crazy world. That takes a lot of creative thinking, too. Now, your book, Creativity on Demand. Why did you feel the need uh, to write a book on on creativity? Well, that's what I do. (laughs) (laughs) That's my job. I write books on creativity. But, uh, no, the serious answer to your question is that after 35 years of teaching people about creative thinking and having written about Leonardo da Vinci Mm. and Thomas Edison and 10 other great geniuses, I felt inspired to share with people something that I thought was a missing link. It was just a revelation uh, for me that you can learn about the creative mindset, and it's essential to learn about it. Mm. You can learn about the creative process, the skills involved in generating and applying new ideas. But the missing link for most people is how do you cultivate the creative energy? A lot of people would like to be creative, but they're, they're exhausted. They're too tired. How can you experience this vitality and link it to your creativity? So I had an epiphany. It was like a lightning bolt hit me. And that's why on the cover of the book, our logo is the lightning bolt, because it represents the the power of this creative energy that we all can get access to. So I explored the simplest, easiest, most practical ways that the average, really busy, stressed out person could apply to generate more creative energy in their life every day. You know what I found interesting from your book was that you're trying to actually uh, simplify the process of becoming creative or becoming a genius. Whereas in history, if you look at the biographies of people that we regard as genius, they've always had that epiphany, um, just like you did. It's never been a process. I mean, you look at Isaac Newton. Uh, he discovered gravity because an apple fell on his head. Right. Right? 
It's true. And, you know, Newton is great because he embodies one of the great qualities of genius that we Mm. can all cultivate because it's actually our birthright. I mean, we're all born playful. Children learn by playing. And they have tremendous creative energy. But what happens, they go to school, and maybe it's second, third, fourth grade, and that child raises their hand and says, ooh, teacher, I have a question, I have a question, ooh, ooh, ooh. And they, they ask this really creative, unusual question. And the overworked, stressed-out teacher says, no, that's a silly question. It's not in the state-mandated curriculum. And all the kids laugh, ah, ha, ha. And inside everybody's mind, something to the following effect takes place. Never, ever, ever do that again. And that's how we become de-geniused. So if you want to get re-geniused, you have to learn what Isaac Newton knew, which is this playful, like he's sitting there uh, on a beautiful day and an apple bonks his head, and he playfully muses on what that means. You know, his optics, one of his greatest works, was inspired when uh, he was walking along on a sunny day and he saw the rainbow-like reflections of the sun on the crystal in the rocks. He was so fascinated, he went back to his cabin, took all the glass he could find, smashed it up in a corner where the sun was streaming in, and he wrote, I filled my cabin with rainbows. And you see the same quality in Einstein and Leonardo. They're playful. Freud wrote a book about Leonardo, and he said the great Leonardo continued to play as a child throughout his adult life, thus baffling his contemporaries. Now, you know, um, what really got me about your book was the front cover. And obviously it says a creativity on demand, but it says how to ignite and sustain the fire of genius. So, you know, rather than wait for an epiphany or an apple falling on my head, what really got me was that you're going to, tell us how to ignite so before we get the fire we talk about the ignition yes i went through your book and the first half of the book was focused on a lot of the postures and exercises and i want you to tell us why is that important because i tried doing it caught a shadow of myself uh looked like i was doing the kama sutra positions all to myself (laughs) i love it well this is this is you know, for thousands of years, people mm. have been studying how can we generate our energy? Right. How can we I, – I, I like to think uh, – actually, you know, George Washington Carver, who's one of my heroes, said something great. He said that uh, God is broadcasting to us every hour, and we just have to tune in and focus on listening to the broadcast. And I think that our bodies are these gifts. It is the actual antenna. But the problem is there's lots of static. There's lots of noise. There's lots of interference from stress and tension and anxiety and depression and all the things, and just being so busy and pressured all the time. So we, we have trouble tuning into the broadcast. Now, this is important spiritually, but it's also important creatively. So the postures in the book are all designed in the movements. They're all very simple. They're easy. They don't require any equipment. They give you a lot of the same effects, the 
that you might get from going to a yoga class, except you don't have to contort your body into some strange position. You can even do it in the office or you can do it uh, when you're traveling, when you're waiting for the bus, when you're standing in line at the post office. But what, are these, really, what, are, these, yeah. what are these positions doing? Are they, are they promoting a sense of calm? Do you need calm before you start the fire? It helps. It really helps. So like in real life, if you were to start a fire, you need to protect the fire from any wind or draft that's going to come and put it out. And you also you need to have the fuel. See, a lot of us have spent our fuel, mm-hmm. uh, and calm is what uh, strengthens the fuel. It makes it more potent. Right. And, and learning to calm yourself. Uh, you know, it's really, it's really fascinating. I've, uh, for 35 years, I've been traveling the world. I ask people everywhere from all walks of life, where are you physically located when you get your very best ideas? And the number one answer around the world, from factory workers and PhDs, it doesn't matter, number one answer is in the shower, right. in the bath, mm-hmm. uh, resting in bed at 4 o'clock in the morning, yep. driving in my car, or walking in nature. Right. Almost no one gets their best ideas at work. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that? Because when you're at work, you're in an active brainwave state. And it's good. You need to be, you need to stimulate your mind. You need to have stimulating conversations and read and engage and get on the internet and look things up and so on and so forth. But even even at a a brainstorming meeting, you're probably not going to have a breakthrough. The breakthrough comes when you're usually by yourself so that there's no fear of embarrassment and you're relaxed. Oh, you let go. And all of a sudden, this the voice, your inner voice, people say it in different ways. They say, you know, I knew it in my gut. I felt it in my heart. My, my bones whispered to me. My blood spoke to me. But as I explained to my clients, you know, your, your heart, your gut, your bones, your blood, they don't send you text messages or voicemails. They speak to you when you shift into this quiet, relaxed, receptive mode. So people say, well, should we put a shower in the workplace? <laughs> but you're that talking about be. you're talking about being in a receptive mode. Yes. 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 And learning learning to move, find a harmony between the active mode and the receptive mode. And that's part of what these practices do in the first part of the book right. is they they guide your nervous system in a very gentle and pleasant way into a state where your energy is more in harmony between that active and passive receptive mode. Hmm. I would have thought it would have been the reverse, that you need to be hyper and sort of, um, you know, working at getting the idea. Um, But you're saying that you should be calm in order to be receptive. Well, you do want to work at getting the idea as well. Hmm. And there's a, there's, and this is one of the simple insights into the creative process is first you figure out what is the challenge you want to solve? What is the insight you're looking for? What's the breakthrough you're hoping to find? Whether it's to do with your job, whether it's to do with your relationship, whether it's to do with yourself, you define the problem. A problem well formulated is half solved. And you 
ask yourself the question, what's the real underlying problem? And this, you know, this is something in relationships, for example, uh, if you're having uh, a problem with your, your wife or your husband and you know, it's a, well, you, you know, who's taking the garbage out? Well, who unloads the dishwasher? Chances are the real issue isn't about the garbage or the dishwasher. It's about how somebody's feeling. And if you just stop and ask yourself, well, what's the real issue here? You're more likely, mm. if you reflect, to get an insight that can save you six months or six years of fighting about something that isn't the real issue. Uh, so at every level, the first step is the prep, I call it the preparation phase, where you consider what's the real issue and is there a better way to formulate this problem? And, and also to ask yourself, what are the prejudices and preconceptions I have that prevent me from thinking clearly? Because we all have them, and it takes self-reflection and, and self-awareness to be really creative. So that's the beginning. Uh, then we shift into the generation mode, and this is where we do exactly what you suggested. We start to seek uh, lots of ideas. Right. And there, there are three simple steps for the generation mode. Go for quantity of ideas, as many as you can think of. So like a brainstorming session with yourself. Exactly. A brainstorming session with yourself. You go for as many ideas as you can. Right. Tom, Thomas Edison, who had 1,093 United States patents and invented three entirely new industries, said, if you want to get a great idea, get a lot of ideas. And in the generation phase, the other secret is don't evaluate them. And the third key is seek things that are funny and really different and have fun. But here's a secret. Here's a secret about brainstorming. Mm -hmm. People in business, they get together, they brainstorm, they put ideas on flip charts or on post-it notes or whatever, and maybe they do it well and they have a good laugh, and that's fine, but they're often disappointed that they don't get a breakthrough. But in conducting these sessions for over 35 years now, I can tell you the breakthrough, no matter how well you do it, you will very, very rarely get a really breakthrough idea in the generation phase. The breakthrough idea comes in the next phase, which is the incubation phase. This is what we're talking about before, when you're in the shower, when you're in the bath, when you're walking in nature, when you're resting in bed. Mm. And, and one of the things to learn how to do, a really simple tip for awakening your creative genius, is when you get that idea, write it down in a notebook. See, when Leonardo da Vinci or Thomas Edison or Marie Curie uh, or George Washington Carver would wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning with a wacky, off-the-wall idea, they write it down in their notebook. Average person wakes up at 4 o'clock in the morning with a wacky, off-the-wall idea. They say, hey, I'm no genius. They go back to sleep. <laughs> nice. Right? So tune in. Tune in to the, uh, this quiet, subtle inner voice. You'll feel it in your gut. So start listening You'll... to your mind and body. Yes. Okay. Yes. And then you can see also why doing the exercises in the first part of the book helps to tune you to be more sensitive to your heart, gut, bones, and blood so that you will be 
more receptive to those messages. So those exercises like yoga, meditation, um, but what about things like, say, aerobics or whatever they do in the gym, you know, weightlifting or whatever? Well, we all need all the help we can get. Right. So exercise is good, too. I and, mean, yeah. You know, but what are you looking that. for when, when you're doing this physical activity? Yeah. What are you looking to achieve in your mind that shows someone that they're ready now to be ignited? What, what, what are we trying to achieve? A sense, a sense of balance, of harmony, of rela- it's relaxation. Look, I go to the gym, I'm working yeah. out, uh, mm-hmm. well, try to anyway. Um, and, and, and the last thing I feel is a sense of balance. I, I'm sort of like besides myself, you know, I feel like I'm on a high blood pressure drive. Um, but what am I? We got to change, change your workout, Vic. Uh, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> we got to change your workout. <laughs> and, but you know, you're absolutely right because you see people in the gym mm. and they're, they're there because of a should. They're there because they're, they're, they're straining and they're trying to, you know, it's great. You have, okay, so here's the a, here's a thing that I'm noticing yeah. from what you're saying. So yeah. I should be going into the gym with the right frame of mind. Correct. Because you're right. You're saying the other people who are there, they're doing it maybe for vanity or because they should, uh, maybe because the doctors forced them or, or whatever. But if you go into the gym knowing that it's phase one of starting to think like a genius, you're saying you're that's, right that's, that's you're on the right you're, track. Okay. Um, you're on the right track. Exactly right. You know, I talk to... Uh, so attitude to is the, everything. Attitude is, is the beginning. Right. It's the beginning. There's, you know, attitude sets us up so that we can then apply our insights into the creative process. Mm-hmm. It, it sets us up for success. It doesn't guarantee it. Right. Uh, you still need persistence. You still need methodology. And, you know, the truth is you need luck. <laughs> Not everything is in our control. Uh, so you need humility and confidence at the same time. But, you know, I... Uh, uh, I was listening to, to one of your wonderful shows when you had on Bishop uh, T.D. Jake, mm. and he said something that really resonated with me, and I'm sure it resonated with everyone who heard it. He said, if, if you get me to try to be something I'm not, it saps my life energy. I'm paraphrasing him here. Right. He said, and if you help me or point me in the direction of being what I am, mm-hmm. that gives me energy. So then... The question is, and this is where we need creative thinking, how do I become more what I am? How do I live a life that supports me in being my real, true, authentic self? In our crazy world, that's not so easy, and we need to think creatively to make it happen. So we actually need to be creative in thinking about what our real purpose is, what our real talents are, and what we really should be doing. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, great. Now, we talked about the, the, the importance of, of getting the body ready to receive because you said we we're meant to be receptive. I want to pinpoint this whole thing about how to become a genius. So now let's talk about the mind. Um, how do we start exercising the mind to be well, receptive? The, yes, yes. One of the one of the ways is to begin, come back, and let's just review what we said about defining a problem. Mm. Is that, that takes a mental discipline. Uh, look at things from different perspectives. That takes mental discipline. Then 
you shift into this generation mode where you're, you're generating lots of ideas. And what's fascinating is people need help doing this because you can invite them. They can even understand the logic of, okay, think of new things. But they look at the blank page and they're afraid to put something down because of that fear of making mistakes. Right. So, so they need help. We give them help. We give them uh, all sorts of techniques to help them generate lots of ideas. The way I, I explain it to people is uh, generate first, then organize. So a lot of us went to school. We learned outlining. And we're sitting there waiting for idea Roman numeral one. <laughs> and if you're waiting for idea Roman numeral one, hmm. you'll, you'll never do anything creative. If you try to put things in order before you generate them, it locks down your creativity. But if you understand that you can just express yourself, put out as many ideas as you can, just like Edison said. Right. Let your mind go free and treat that as a playful, enjoyable exploration. You'll surprise yourself at the number of ideas you can generate and how inspiring it is. You know, the other way I say this as, as, a, as a writer uh, who's written 14 books, uh, you know, I, I really live this. I apply this. I, I use this, these methods to write these books. And I follow the writer's motto, which is write drunk, revise sober. <laughs> well, that's see, a great you, idea. You should be listening to one of my shows on whiskey drinking. I, um, I did listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> now, you know, when we start this, I mean, if, if, if listeners go back now after the show and say, you know what, I'm going to give it a try. Um, it's not that easy initially, right? They should expect to be a little clumsy at first. Of course, just like anything else, mm. just like anything else. And it takes practice what, and perseverance. Absolutely. Every I mean, here's the good news. If you do the exercises in the first part of the book, you yeah. will feel good right away. OK, uh, so you will feel good right away. If you do the ex if you practice the ideas about cultivating a creative mindset, mm -hmm. you will feel encouraged right away. And if you read the chapter and practice the exercises uh, that guide you to apply the creative process, you'll start getting more ideas right away. Having said that, if you really want to do something creative, you will encounter resistance and you have to overcome habit and there's lots of inertia. So yes, yes, yes. Persistence is absolutely essential. Let me give an example about me, the challenges I have. Like, you know, every, every week um, I've got to pick a certain topic or a certain guest, yeah? Yes. For my radio show. And I like to cover different topics and, and sort of uh, keep the momentum of the show going, covering all aspects of life, thinking being one of them. That's why I invited you. I find if I'm doing something busy or rather I'm, I'm busy doing something, I'll suddenly get an idea. If I sit down, bring some pen and paper in front of me, a cup of coffee, and I say, okay, you know what? These are the next few topics I'm going to cover in the next few weeks. I can't think of anything. I, my mind draws a blank. But when I'm busy doing something, I start getting these whole bunch of ideas going. Is that something that's a common occurrence? It is for you. 
Oh. <laughs> and, and my counsel is simply that uh, it makes a really important point, mm. which is this is really about tuning into yourself and your own rhythms. And See, my creativity not, comes when I multitask, which is crazy be, because then I don't have time yeah. to write. I'm doing so many other things. So it distracts you out of your linear thinking. When you're trying to think in just one straight track about something, your mind isn't as... No, my, my reception of my ideas yes. come from the largest amount of distraction I have. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying, is you need to be distracted from your linear pathway. Yeah. And so that works for you, and the key then is just record those ideas. And con you know, you'll love uh, um, the technique that I teach in the creative process chapter. Right. It's called mind mapping, mm -hmm. and it's a way to generate and organize your ideas. It uses, it gets you to do a lot of the things your teacher told you not to do when you were in school. Right. You know, your teacher said, stop doodling and stop daydreaming. Well, this is a technique based on constructive doodling and daydreaming, and it's actually the technique I use myself to write all these books, and it's something you can do when you get those ideas in that distracted state, run with them by making a mind map about them, go off in all sorts of different directions. And for you, I'd say, feel free to multitask, drink some coffee, send an email, <laughs> <laughs> because that's what works for you. Right. Now we're talking about children. You, you know, they are an amazing source of creativity, um, simply because maybe of their innocence. Uh, does that mean ignorance is bliss? Well, is that a great way to approach, yeah, a, approach yeah. a problem? It's a fine balance. Mm. You see, we need we need to access innocence right. and openness and freedom from habit and preconception. And the older we get, for many people, that becomes harder to do. The more educated. We are the more letters we have after our name, the, the smarter we think we are. So we we forget to let it all go. And if you're just purely innocent, knew nothing as an adult, that doesn't work either. <laughs> uh, no, it doesn't. Because every time no. I plead not guilty, my wife doesn't uh, <laughs> believe me. But um, yeah. ignorance takes away preconception, right? Well, there's an alternative besides ignorance because. Mm. Uh, I don't recommend it. I recommend knowledge. I recommend wisdom. You also and, recommend humor. Big time. Now, why, why do you encourage people to develop a sense of humor? Because, you know, humor goes two ways. One is you can be a great consumer of humor, or you can be a great expressor of humor. And both are really good. And both are really both. good. So Both why, why, really why what, what, what's in the humor that's going to help us achieve greater creativity? There are three things. Mm. The first is it's great stress relief. It just takes away the tension, both for yourself and others. Some of the best bosses are good at making everybody laugh. Edison was famous for that. Make everybody laugh. Uh, transform the tension into enthusiasm. So one is stress management. Number two, it just helps you have a bigger perspective. It helps you avoid taking yourself too seriously 
so you can take a bigger view of your situation. And the third one is that it turns out that when you're getting a joke, just as your brain is about to get it, it's the same part of your brain that lights up when you get a new idea. Hmm. So I call this the relationship between the ha-ha and the aha. It's very correlated with the creative insight. When you're laughing, you're waking up the same part of the brain that's going to help you get that ignition of the fire of genius. So creating a joke helps you exercise your mind. That helps you uh, be more creative in other aspects of your life. Yes, and also at the same time, just being an appreciator of humor will inspire your ability to be creative. There, there are a whole uh, a slew of studies now that show that when people watch a funny show, if they watch Seinfeld or The Simpsons, mm. their scores on creativity tests go up after they watch the show. Huh. Now, on page 93 in your book, you talk about smiling into your inner self. Yes. What, what does that mean? Well, it's, it's a simple but profound physiological shift. Mm. I mean, people can try it right now. Just if you just allow yourself, and we're not talking about a big external goofy smile. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about a subtle little inner smile, kind of like the Mona Lisa. Right. And if you get that Mona Lisa smile going, it gives you this feeling of, ooh, you know, I, I kind of... I have an insight. I know something. Uh, you know, I was teaching a, a class to 80 children ages 8 to 11 in Virginia, and I showed them a picture of the Mona Lisa, and I said, what is she smiling about? And the kids all started to imitate Mona's smile, and one of them said, she's got a secret. And then another kid said, yeah, she knows that everything has an opposite. And the kids were getting into this you know, really uh, sophisticated philosophical insight. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, so I, I was with this group of business people, and I said, what is she smiling about? And somebody said, uh, I read in the Wall Street Journal that the famous smile was caused by a dental problem. <laughs> <laughs> See, the kids got it right. Uh, when you have this little inner smile, right. uh, it, it puts you in this, State where you're more receptive to creativity, where you instantly notice that you, you kind of feel a little more relaxed. Mm. And it turns out that uh, one really fascinating study, they looked at family photographs and they found that the people in those photographs who were smiling outlived the people who weren't smiling by a significant number of years. So... <laughs> If you can't think of something funny to smile, uh, to make you smile, watch a funny show or just practice the inner smile exercise that's in the book. Here's one thing I found that I thought um, I'll run it past you just for clarification. Um, you say that one should smile into our belly, our liver, mm -hmm. our kidneys, but you also say that one should smile at their genitals. Now, here's my thing. I smile at my genitals with a glow of pride. My wife, 
That was, I put that in. I anticipated the fact that someone like you might read my book someday. And I said, if I leave that out, Vip, someone like Vip is going to say, wait a minute, you forgot to smile into the most important part. Welcome to the Vip Jaswell Report. Nothing goes unnoticed. So here's my thing. I smile at my genitals with a glow of pride, but my wife laughs at them. Um, how does that make me a genius? Well, it's great. You're inspiring her, her creativity by getting her to, to laugh, and you're smiling as well. So it sounds like a pretty creative and happy household. I hope so. Yeah. And, and but then and what, 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 you're really what you're trying to say, I guess, or what I'm understanding from all of this is the whole purpose of doing all these things is to achieve a sense of calm so that you're able to receive ideas. Exactly. And, you know, if you think about the anxiety people have mm. about every aspect of life, sexuality, of course, is one of the greatest sources of, uh, of anxiety. And if, if people just are gentler and more loving and kinder to themselves, if they can smile and laugh a little bit and, and do this, you know, in the book, it's, it's an actual practice for you to, to smile and laugh in this loving and accepting way to your whole being, then if you can do that for yourself, then it's so much easier to be loving and kind and gentle and have that sweet smile when you're dealing with other people, starting with your, your spouse and your kids. and Because and, you know, that's, that's where the real practice of everyday creativity is, is not taking each other for granted. Uh, you know. Okay, but those are relationships. I, let's let's focus on um, so far what I have from you on on the road to creativity is one. Um, do some form of exercise that puts you in a state of being that sort of welcomes uh, being receptive to ideas, right? Yes, that's number one. So that yes. could be whether you're in the shower or do some of the poses that are in your book. Well, it could be meditation or yoga or some form of exercise, right? Yes. Number two would be um, start using your brain and pen and paper and, and start mapping out. There's no such thing as a bad idea, right? Having brainstorming sessions with yourself. In the gen when you're in the generation phase, mm -hmm. there's no such thing as a bad idea. When you shift to the evaluation phase, there is such a thing as a bad idea. <laughs> right, because that's when you start yes. then criticizing, criticizing right. what's possible and what's not possible. Right? And that's so important is to remember that uh, when you, see, it's so, if you understand these phases, mm. then you're really empowered to think creatively. Most people don't know about these different phases. So you have some people who love to generate new ideas, but they're not critical enough. And you have other people who come to every meeting and they say, let me play devil's advocate. And they criticize everything. And the secret is to learn to do these things at the appropriate time. So it's almost so like it's almost like role play. You start off as an athlete. Yeah. You start yeah. off as an athlete. You then uh, adopt the executive uh, role of sort of coming up with ideas, and then you do the chief executive role, where you choose which idea is going to be the one you're going to follow. And then you have to put on your hard hat mm. and actually implement the idea because no, your creativity doesn't happen until you translate into the implementation mode. Right. And in the implementation mode, there are 
three critical things. You've got to set a specific goal. Mm -hmm. You've got to set a timeline for the achievement of the goal. And then you have to commit to it wholeheartedly with every fiber of your being. And that's, that's, that's where you take the ignition and sustain it and make it real. Okay, so in, 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 in the creative process, you have preparation, generation, the incubation, uh, evaluation, and then implementation, right? That's what you yes. wrote in your book. Um, I love the incubation bit because it, you call it the art of doing nothing. Uh, right. and, and that's what I'm great at doing the best. <laughs> um, but tell me something. Um, how important is IQ in relation to determining your level of creativity? Well, it doesn't necessarily correlate. Mm. Uh, you can have a very high IQ and not be very creative. Uh, there's uh, You can be super well-educated and unfortunately not be very creative. Right. Uh, there's uh, my, one of my favorite uh, quotes about this is uh, an old friend of mine uh, said, if Thomas Edison had an MBA, he would have tried to invent a bigger candle. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes, sometimes high IQ and lots of academic study hmm. can get in the way of looking at things with the innocence and the openness. It's not ignorance. It's innocence and openness and being able to access that. But really smart people, and I do, you know, I do a lot of work with PhDs and, and, and MBAs and, and MDs, very well-educated, super smart people, but the good news is a lot of the ones, at least the ones who, who, who are smart enough to hire me, uh, are paying for me to teach them how to suspend what they think they know and shift into that state that you referred to of openness and innocence so that they can access ideas in this more intuitive, receptive way and then, hmm. then turn them over to their very developed critical intellects because it's liberating for them as it is for anybody to understand that they're just different phases to this process. I mean, you didn't learn this in school. They didn't teach it in, in high school. They don't teach it in college. They don't even teach it in graduate school. Uh, this, is sub, this is a missing link in our education, and part of my mission is to, is to fill that gap so that people understand. You know, Abraham Maslow, the great psychologist, said the person who only has a hammer treats every problem as a nail. And my goal is to give people a complete toolkit so they can really make their creative dreams come true. But then listeners must be aware that in the beginning, this whole process, like anything else, looks a little clumsy, but then it's the practice that's going to perfect the art, right? Yes, yes. Practice and persistence sticking with it. But you know where it begins? You said this before in, in terms of the attitude. Right. If you just wreck, because some people think, well, I'm not creative. You know, my brother was the creative one, my sister. Uh, I was never good at uh, music or art. And one thing people need to understand is 
when we're talking about creativity here, we're not talking about music or art, as wonderful as that is. We're talking about creativity in everyday life. Right. You're born with it. You've got 100 billion brain cells, but they didn't come with an operating manual. That's why I write these books. Is civilization, as you've seen, are we, are we getting more or less creative? Uh, both. <laughs> uh, here's here's the downside. Mm. The downside is there's more spam, there's more just garbage, mm. and it's everywhere. I mean, if you click on anything, they send you some sort of commercial that you don't want to see. Right. You drive past a billboard, it's all over the taxi, it's on the bus, it's on the subway, and it's driving you to get away from what Bishop Jakes was teaching. It's trying you to getting you to be something that you're not, want something that you don't need. And there's a huge onslaught of that nonsense, more so today than ever before. So that's that's the bad news. The other part of the bad news is that people are addicted to their devices. They're addicted to being wired. And they, once you get addicted to something, you've lost the power of choice. Now, here's the good news. The good news is we have access to more wisdom, to more good information than humanity has ever had before. I mean, now you can learn about the great teaching of all the cultures of the world. You can learn the poetry. You can listen to the music. You can understand the philosophy of every culture and every tradition. So we have this tremendous opportunity to be inspired global renaissance men and women. Yeah, but we are more informed, but we're not that doesn't mean we are more creative. Well, that's In why fact, we need I to was learn. thinking I was thinking yeah. we might be less creative because now there's so much information out there that there isn't a a sense of uh that I need to find out because it, the, the information is already out. But it all, it all comes down to choice. Mm. The essence is you have the choice. You know, for example, uh, on Twitter, you can decide who you follow. So, of course, I follow the Jazz Wall Report. Of course. And I know you follow me. <laughs> so we've each made a great choice there. Uh, Pure genius. I carefully, I carefully choose who I follow. Right. And... You know, if people post drivel, I delete them because I don't have time for drivel. I want to get, in 140 characters or less, quick insights into substantive, thoughtful, intelligent research idea or opinion, which I can then click on if I want to explore it further. Okay. So I'm very disciplined about how I use my electronic world. And it's become a tremendous asset that supports my creativity and allows me to do research that I'd have to, years ago, I'd have to be in the library uh, for a month. I can get that done in a day now. Now, you're, you're a very much an in-demand speaker. Or you speak all around the world. What do, you, what do you mostly talk about? I talk about whatever my clients uh, need the most. Uh, usually they, they ask me to give a talk related to one of my books. So now mm -hmm. I'm doing quite a lot about uh, creativity on demand. 
I also give a lot of talks on how to think like Leonardo and innovate like Edison. But what I often do is I mix and match and, and make something up uh, uniquely for each client. Right. And, and so that uh, they feel that I really tuned into them and didn't just give them something that you know, was off the shelf. I try to make everything really focused on, on what they say they want and need so that I can actually exceed their expectations. And that's, that's how I have been able to stay in business doing this for 35 years. And where can we get the book? Uh, the book, uh, people can go to Amazon or barnesandnoble.com. They can go right to my website, michaelgelb, G-E-L-B.com, mm -hmm. and they can click the link on the website. Excellent. Well, I'm going to go and incubate right now, right after the show, and do absolutely nothing. And then, <laughs> Brilliant. I think I might do the same thing myself. And then if my wife says, what are you doing? I say, I'm trying to be a genius. <laughs> Well, from one genius to another, all the best to you, Michael. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Your comments and your follow are so very welcome on my Twitter account at Vip Jaswal and my Facebook page. A special shout-out of thanks to my wonderful team, William Sanchez and Rick Buser. Please do visit foxnewsradio.com for my complete library of shows that cover a variety of topics which impact our lives. You'll be spoiled for choice at what I have to offer. Think of it as a candy shop for your ears. The Vip Jaswal Report exclusively on Fox News Radio.